Welcome to SECC. We pray that you are blessed today as you listen. from Exodus chapter 24 verses 12 to 18 and you will find this on page 82 of your church Bible. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commands I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his assistant, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain. And he stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. The second reading is from Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 to 10, on page 90, the golden calf. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come. Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it, and have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. 
Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. So over the last few weeks, we've been looking at loving our church. And today we're going to be looking at the next chapter on this about honoring church leaders. And we're going to spend some time looking at Moses as a leader and one particular episode in his life, the story of the golden calf. And we've just read that story now. Thank you, Zoe, for that. So let's jump in and look at this subject and hopefully unpack honoring our leaders. In order to kind of break open this subject, I think it's helpful to answer uh, four key questions. First question, what does the Bible say about honoring leaders? Second, what is the impact of, of not honoring our leaders Third, and a small point, how does dishonoring leaders start? And then fourth, what is a helpful framework to honor church leaders? So let's go straight into that first question. What does the Bible say about honoring leaders? If I asked you to describe Moses, what would you say? He's a great leader. He's a man chosen by God. He's one of the very few people who spent time physically in God's presence. He was a man who cared deeply for his people. He's regarded, isn't he, as one of the greatest heroes of the Bible. And all of this is is absolutely true. However, Moses was no perfect man. He murdered an Egyptian. He told God, don't send me, send someone else. And then we have this strange story, but I believe a really, really important story in Exodus chapter 4, when on his way to Egypt to ask Pharaoh to let his people go, God came to kill Moses. And his wife, Zipporah, ends up having to cut off Moses' son's foreskin And she touched Moses' feet with it. And God did not kill Moses that night. Now, there's a lot behind this story. But the really key message is that Moses even rejected or forgot the most basic customs to mark out God's people through the process of circumcision. And then perhaps, most sadly, because of a small act of disobedience, but nevertheless an act of disobedience in Deuteronomy 32, Moses doesn't even set foot on the land he spent his life leading God's people to. Moses had a flawed character. He was a man prone to huge errors of judgment. And yet he was God's man to lead his people out of Egypt. Do you know, I I think this shows a a difficult but important truth about leaders. I'm part of a massive organization, and I have hundreds of people who are above me. And some of those leaders I love. Some of them I like. Some I dislike. Some, frankly, I don't think should be leaders. And this is a difficult truth about leaders. Without fail, all leaders are men or women 
that have shown at times that they are fallible, that they make mistakes, that they have emotions, that they have bad days, they can be selfish, they can be narrow-minded, they can be difficult, unlistening and uncaring. Why? Because they are humans and they are sinners. And I believe there has only ever been one perfect leader in this world, and that is obviously Jesus Christ. Everyone else will fall short. And so we need to always recognize that leaders, be them in organizations or in churches, are human. They will always be imperfect. You know, church leaders may not be murderers. They may not irritate God so much that God swipes them from the earth, as what almost happened with Moses. But I have no doubt that church leaders irritate you, irritate me. You may feel like they're taking the people they shepherd on a path you don't want to go on. Moses took the Israelites into the desert with no water, no food. There would have been people under Moses who would not have liked what he was doing. And the evidence of that was that they were so quick to grumble when things just got a little bit uncomfortable. You know, regardless about what we think of the leaders or even what the characters of church leaders are, as Christians and as followers of that perfect leader, Jesus Christ, we are told clearly that the Bible is God-breathed and the final authority. And this authority is the same for leaders and congregations. And the Bible is very clear on how we should treat our church leaders. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That's Hebrews 13, verse 17. Notice what it does not say. It doesn't say obey your leaders and submit to them because you like them, because you feel they're going in the right way. They suit your taste. You like their style. You fill in the blanks. The Bible The Bible is clear about honoring our leaders. We need to obey them. We need to submit to them because they are keeping watch over our souls. So the question, what does the Bible say about honoring our leaders? The answer, we need to submit to them and obey them. The Bible is very clear on this. So let's go to the next question. What happens if we don't honor our leaders? What happens if we don't honor our leaders? So let's continue with the story of Moses and the people of Israel. But before I go any further, I think it's helpful to be clear why we're looking at the stories of Israel and Moses when we're looking at honoring leaders in church life. And I think whilst the people of Israel are not a church per se, there are clear parallels between the people of Israel and the stories in Exodus and God's church. And the church and the people of Israel were both loved by God. God wanted to use them to proclaim his kingdom. And they both were led by individuals that were answering God's calling on their lives. As part of the social order, there were leaders. And then there was God in absolute 
and overall command. So with these parallels, we can use the story of Israel as an indicator as to what could happen in churches if that social order goes wrong through the dishonoring of leaders. And the story that we've just read of the golden calf, I think is a great example of what can happen when leaders are not honored. And whilst we've read it, I just want to go over a few key points from this story and also perhaps look before the story and add a bit more context to it. So Moses has led the people out of Egypt in an absolutely spectacular way. There's been plagues. The seas have parted. There's been pillars of fire and smoke leading God's people on. They've seen the power of God. However, they didn't quite get that situation, did they? Even though God was powerfully seen, within days, they were beginning to complain about food and about water to Moses, their leader, which God, incidentally, through his grace, answered by making water pour out of a rock and make bread and birds fall out of the sky. So Moses is leading God's people to a large mountain, Mount Sinai, and it's here where God is going to really start connecting to his people through the Ten Commandments, a framework for how um, we actually live today in today's society. And the story goes that Zoe read that God was on the mountain and the Bible said that Moses went up and spent 40 days with God and received the Ten Commandments. However, before he went, he gave the following command to the elders. He said to the elders in Exodus 24, 14, he says, wait, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. So clearly Moses knew that the people he was shepherding were a troublesome bunch. They were not only complaining about God, but they had also mastered this ability about complaining about each other. So Moses told the people to wait, but the people had other ideas. Perhaps they grew bored. Perhaps they were rebellious. Perhaps they didn't trust Moses. Perhaps the heat got to them. Perhaps they were giving in to their own sinful desires. Perhaps it was all these things. The key point is here is that the people dishonored Moses. They grew impatient and called another leader, the second in command, Aaron, and said to him, can you build us something else we can worship? And he built the golden calf. And what happened then was a terrible breakdown in this young society. So yeah, they made this golden cow. They had a party that degenerated into an orgy of drinking and sex. And God was so angry with what he saw that he wanted to kill God's people. But Moses persuaded God that they were his people and God relented. However, when Moses returned to camp, he took those who repented to slay those who didn't repent. And God sent a disease on the people to further weaken their numbers. So what has this got to do with honoring leaders? Well, Moses, as a leader, told the people he led to wait. And they didn't listen. They didn't heed his command. 
So what followed? Well, it was carnage. It was a breakdown in the order. This was a people about to suffer terribly from God's wrath. This is the effect of dishonor, and this is why the Bible is so clear about giving honor to our leaders. What impact not honoring our leaders have? If we look at this story, we see a breakdown in relationships. We see disorder. We see a people about to have God's grace removed. A group of people who come out of this episode smaller in numbers, weaker. This is the impact, I believe, of not honoring our leaders. Next question, how can this dishonor start? So I think there's a very important but small point, as I said earlier, about how dishonor started and how this incident started. And there's a small detail in this story of the golden calf. So when Aaron is approached to build the golden calf, he, 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 there is a, a conversation of there being more than one. The writer says, they. So a few people um, came to Aaron um, and they asked. However, this was not everyone because Aaron's response in verse 2 was, okay, go and take off your gold that is worn by your sons and daughters and bring them to me. It indicates that the request of this massively dishonoring moment was not started by everyone. Otherwise, Aaron would have said, everyone take off your jewelry, but he didn't. So like a little spark in a tinder-dry forest, the trouble spread, and it took off like wildfire. To me, this story shows that the dishonor shown to leaders usually starts with a few grumbles that are not dealt with properly. So how does this dishonor start? A very clear answer, I think, with just a few. So how do we bring this into the church context? Well, before I go any further, I really want to be clear that what I am not saying here is that we should not be talking with each other about church life, about direction, raising our concerns, our frustrations, about church and with each other. I believe that we need to be sharing this with our leaders in public forums such as church meetings. And I firmly believe that this is absolutely correct and right. However, I do believe that they need to be raised carefully, in love, after prayer, and in a framework that does not lead us to cause dishonor, embarrassment, or hurt to others. So how can we show honor to our leaders? What's that framework looking like? And this is the next question. So these points are taken from um, the book that many of you are are using in the Connect groups. Um, And so you probably have already covered them, but I think it helpful just to bring up again. And there's five key points. The first one is to um, regard our leaders. And in in 1 um, uh, Thessalonians 5, 12 to 13, it says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. 
Hold them in the highest regard, in love, because of their work. Live in peace with each other. You know, regard means to view them in a special way. To view them in a special way. So when it says to hold them in the highest regard, it means to have their backs, to trust their judgment because they have a different insight into a particular situation or matter. The second point, love your leaders. Verse 13, again, says hold them in the highest regard and love them. But notice it doesn't necessarily say like them. And I think there is an entire talk on like and love. But they are different. We've all had disagreements and rows with family members. And for periods, we may actually find it a little bit, little bit difficult to like that person. But very few of us would say we have stopped loving that person. It needs to be the same with our church leaders. At times, we may not like them. But the Bible is clear. We must always love them. Love your leaders. Point three, follow their example. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Again, the Bible is clear here. We need to imitate our leaders and their behavior. Just as children grow by following their parents' behaviors. Point four, be a joy to them. Hebrews 13, verse 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must be, be given account. So do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. You know, I really like this end bit, that would be no benefit to you, because the writer of the Hebrews is clearly saying that a miserable leader is no benefit to us. How many of us want to be surrounded by miserable people? Be a joy to them. And then finally, pray for them. And there's this wonderful um, uh, request or question that was given to Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. Um, and he was asked, what was the secret of his effectiveness? And his response, my people pray for me. So how to sum up, is there something that we can put in front of every thought about our leaders? Is there a, a litmus test that we can use to consider every action and every reaction we have to our leaders? And I really passionately believe there is. And it was something that Andy taught the children in um, Zone several years ago, and it has really stuck with me since then. And it's this WWJD, what would Jesus do? That should be our litmus test. And what did Jesus do? What were his characteristics? Well, he had to face difficult, he had, sorry, difficult face-to-face -face conversations that went against the grain, where he spoke the absolute truth into situations. But he did this often privately, unless he was speaking in groups. He prayed for his people, even though they maligned him. They betrayed him. They hurt him. And he too took paths he didn't want to take through Jerusalem and Gethsemane. But he did it because it was the will 
of his Father in heaven. It was the will of his Father in heaven. I think, um, given the awful events on Friday, I think now more than ever, this issue about respecting, about loving our leaders is ever more important. You know, we have a call to give honor to our leaders and witness to others and be a witness to others about the importance of honoring and praying for all who lead us. So when we're considering our leaders, how do we consider them? What is our behavior towards them? How do we honor them? If you remember nothing else about this talk, just remember this, WWJD, what would Jesus do? This is a really simple test and a good, great starting point in all our behavior, especially when we consider our life in this church and the health of this church. Use this as a fundamental to work through the way that we interact with our leaders here in this church. God bless you. Let's pray. Thank you for giving us your son, whose character has shown in the gospel that, there's a, that, that your, your, your son is in the gospel, Father, and it is there, and the stories of him are there for us to imitate. Thank you, Father, for the stories of Moses and Israel and the examples and warnings that these stories also contain. But, Father, as your church in Sawbridgeworth, I really pray that these stories and your example, Father, that you change us, that you mold us, that you shape us and challenge us. Father, we want to be more like you, more like your son. Be with us, Father, I pray in your name. Amen. God bless you.